back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Brandon Vincent Jackson, a comedian living in Delaware. They said it couldn't be done, but I found a Delaware comedian. Brandon came up to the Philadelphia scene after starting around the end of 2013 or the beginning of 2014, and his debut album, English for Criminals, comes out on Friday, May 27th, which is today. Or not, depending on when you're listening to this. That's kind of how time works. Whatever. He teaches English at the University of Delaware and is working on a variety show called English for Criminals. He is very funny, so you should definitely grab his album and see him live if you can. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Please sign up for the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month. You can also follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in So you got a library for this? I work at a university. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm at the library. Oh, yeah. Before everything shut down, like mm-hmm. I was going from town to town, like Albany, Syracuse, Ithaca, up in New York, and just renting out library rooms. <laughs> and it was like a ruse because I had never gone to the library as an adult aside from that. <laughs> like I felt like I was actually becoming smarter, but like yeah. I knew I was really dumb. Well, that's the new wave with libraries now. It's like a, a lot of them multimedia hubs because that's what the new literacy is, digital. Yeah. So where do you work? I work at the University of Delaware. Blue Hens. Yeah. I used to work as a journalist in Maryland. Okay. I'd have to cover high schools. And I remember, God, I don't remember the guy's name, but he went to Aberdeen High School. Good basketball player. And he got a scholarship to Delaware. God, I mean, we yeah, I know. No, I don't expect we don't, you to know. We don't get a lot of great men's basketball players at the <laughs> University of Delaware. Are they still America East? I don't know what it is. They're, they used to be in the Colonial. This year they had, they actually got into the tournament. And they got they got trolloped by Villanova. Yeah, who, who do you root for at that point? Because you're you're on Philly too. I mean, Villanova is not a Philly school. It's like the main line. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm out of Binghamton, and yeah, like ten years ago, maybe maybe a little longer than that. Binghamton's basketball team made the tournament, and I was in Maryland. But everybody in Binghamton was super pumped. Yeah, I'm like they're playing Duke. <laughs> they got absolutely rolled. Yeah, and then. They found out like four or six of the players were like fraudulently there. Like they're they're at Binghamton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a a big scandal. And I think the basketball program just tanked after that. Mm -hmm. It's like we had like 15 minutes. I just met they had like an improv showcase here at UD and a group from Binghamton University had came down and met some of them. Yeah. Were they good? I didn't see the whole show. I was there for like a part where they asked some local comedians to like do something at the beginning. And then, you know, I can't, my attention span, I can't, <laughs> can't sit and watch college improv all night. Yeah. I've never done that. I don't want to. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> you came up through Delaware, right? I mean, I'm born and raised in Delaware, but I, I stand up comedy. I started in Philly. Is there a scene in Delaware? Really? Not really. Yeah. Like, very, there's people that do comedy here, but it's like, 
it's touch and go. I used to run a lot of shows, but I like burned myself out with that. And then I moved to New York. And so I was just like over it. It's hard to get people to come out to local stuff here. Yeah. Like I do it up in New York and I, I yeah. run a bunch of rooms and finding the comedians is kind of the easy part. Yeah. Because people want to do anything. Yeah. But yeah. But every once in a while you get a show where like 11 people come. Yeah. And you're like, man, I'm not good at this at all. There's no foot traffic in Delaware, except at the university. And it's all college students. And it's like, I don't really want to. <laughs> there's actually, there's a college. This is how I got linked up to the improv thing. There's a stand-up group at UD now. They have like an RSO. And so yeah. I've been working with them and they're doing their shows at like local bars and venues like that. And I did one of them when I was preparing for my album and they invited me to do another one. I was like, I'm not. <laughs> doing this is like this is your thing you're just a student show you know i'm faculty here now right. and um it feels kind of like going back like i was in a fraternity you feel like i would go back to like a frat party at the right, age right. of 35 it feels inappropriate yeah i used to go back to my college uh well i went back there twice as like a guest speaker mm -hmm. because yeah when i was a journalist they would bring me back to the communication department like their mm -hmm. end of year picnic and i would talk and the second time i went there i think it was 30 and that's when I noticed like the real difference between me and them. I just didn't feel like like they invited me to a party afterward. Yeah. And I was there and I was like, oh no. And it was at a bar. Yeah. I felt like I was 20 years older than everybody else. I think the last party I went to that was at college, I think I was like 24. That I was just like hanging out. We were having an alumni bar crawl. Oh, and yeah. there were some actives that were with us and they like invited us to the party. I think I was there for like five minutes and I was like, this is wrong. I got to get <laughs> out of here. I've never felt so uncool. And like, yeah, I don't feel cool ever. And mm -hmm. so that was an accomplishment. I was like, no, I, I, I got to go home. This isn't good. I still play basketball in the in the gym. And it's like, it's like I got to make it clear to people like I'm not your age because I look young for my age. Right. But I'm just like, I got to make it clear. Like, you can't throw the ball that high. I can't get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can only play for like one or two games. Like, it's just not going to work. <laughs> my nephew plays baseball. And yeah. I played baseball all my life. And then I was really pumped when he was, you know, really starting to learn. And what he liked to do was catch pop flies. And mm -hmm. I must have been like 25, 20, maybe 28. And I'd play with him and he'd go, throw it higher, Uncle Mikey. And I'd throw it high. And then he'd, he'd throw it back and he'd do it again. And I'm like, I got to like 12. And I'm like, Jake, man, I can't do that and anymore. Your arm is tired. Yeah, I, was like, I was like, oh my God, like I'm I'm getting older. I can't do it. And the arm's yeah. not meant to do that anyway. Yeah. But, oh God, it was rough. And kid doesn't understand. He's just like, you don't want to play with me anymore. I go, they're yeah, like, kind of. They're like, well, what's pain? What is that? Aches? <laughs> so you moved to New York too? I lived in New York for a little under a year back in 2019. Okay. It was like, right. I left like a couple months before the, before the pandemic. Did you see something happening? No, I, I had been gone. I had left in August of 2019. Yeah. So by 2020, I was actually in Boston when things started to like, I was just visiting on during my vacation. I went there and did some comedy. And that that was when everybody was starting to talk about, like, what's going to happen? How long is this going to last? And then by the time I got back to Delaware, everything was shut down. Oh, my God. At least Delaware is a nice place. It's all right. It's cheap. <laughs> my girlfriend lives in Wilmington. 
or right outside. Okay. So, oh no, no, she's actually in Wilmington. I'll give you the address if you want it. Uh, but no, (laughs) (laughs) so I've been there a few times recently and it's just a nice walking around city, but she does Mm -hmm. a lot of the fun stuff in Philly. So she loves going to like a food truck festival or anything up there, Philly's games. So I don't know exactly what, what there is to do in Delaware. Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't take this. I'm not really going anywhere right now. I've right, been, right. I was like traveling a bit for preparing for the album. And then after I finished the album, I slept for like two months. <laughs> and then I got promoted at work. So I just kind of been on campus. I've just been going to work, teaching, exercising. It's been different. Right. When yeah. did you start doing stand up? It was either December of 2013 or January of 2014. It was sometime in that right. winter. Yeah. So it's been almost eight years now. It's been a while. Was it something you always wanted to do? No. I always listened to stand up comedy. I've always been like a big stand up comedy fan. I was a big, when I was a kid, Chris Rock was like yeah. the biggest stand up comic in the world. And then Dave Chappelle, when I was in high school, he was like the biggest thing. Like when I was in high school when the Chappelle show came out. So it was like, yeah. that was all anybody talked about for like two years. So I was really big into that, but I never saw, thought of myself as someone that could go on stage and make people laugh. And it was just like, kind of, I was like, what, what does this have anything to do? <laughs> I just didn't think it was applicable at all. Yeah. But I was working in video production. So I thought I was going to be like, I saw myself being like a writer, director, like a um, screenwriter, director. Like a lot of my idols were like Tarantino and Scorsese, Woody Allen, you know, well, I guess Scorsese doesn't write. I don't know. But I like, you know, writer, directors. You get to like them. And so, yeah. So I, I thought that was going to do, but I just like had no way into that world. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just like, I was like, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about this. Like I wrote screenplays and I was like, and it was just like the whole like idea of like making movies, having to like coordinate and lead people was just kind of like intimidating to me. It just seemed like it was too much work to make some of the ideas in my head. I'm like, I just want to make some of these happen right now and get some feedback and move on, which, you know, stand up comedy ended up being the perfect medium for that because it's, you know, very immediate in the present get on, get off, you know. I don't know any form of entertainment that has as immediate of a feedback as, as stand-up. Yeah. I was actually just, uh, I was reading this article yesterday about tools you can use for getting into the flow, the workflow and creativity flow. They said, make a list of the different things that you really like to do that you can get into flow lift and like dissect, you know, what they have in common. And like one of the big things I like, I love playing ping pong. I like playing basketball, but I really only enjoy it when I'm playing the right position. So I like playing like a point forward position, like playing out of the post and passing out of the post and kind of orchestrating from up there. I can't really play point guard because I can't dribble or shoot, but, (laughs) but I can be very creative in that space. But sometimes you play and nobody you play with people that don't play like that. They don't pass the ball into the post. It's just five people spread out, taking turns, dribbling. And it's like, well, I can't help you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need me. And so like that. And then one of the things was like teaching, you know, I'm a teacher. And so one of my favorite ways to teach is to kind of orchestrate the classroom. I don't want to stand up there and talk the whole time. And nobody, my students don't want that either. So I like try to 
design, you know, experience and orchestrate that. And I can really get into the flow doing that. And the last thing is doing stand-up comedy, which I'm not really doing right now. But when I do get into the flow of it is when I'm like really kind of interacting in the present with the audience, which is kind of hard to do. <laughs> so I, I found that like the common thread there is, you know, developing chemistry with people. Like even with ping pong, the reason I like ping pong is because I don't know if this is other people's opinion about the sport, but like the true goal in ping pong is not to demolish your opponent. It's to find someone that you have a good match with so that you can like keep a flow going yeah. back and forth. You know, you, you want to win at the end, but you don't want to play a game where you're just serving then another serve and game keeping, stopping and stuff like that. You do want your to develop a chemistry there that's part of the beauty of it. So that's like, that's a common thing. I like developing chemistry and, and orchestrating things. Ping pong terrifies me. Really? Why? All right. It's a stupid reason. I don't want to look dumb. And like oh. I could be okay at it, but like I'll watch people play and they're very good. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm just going to watch. And ping pong is one of those games. And golf is the same way for me where I don't yeah. know how to play. Like I don't want to slow anybody down. That's how I feel about improv. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just feel like I'm like, I can't help you with this. And I'm just going to interrupt. You know? Right. I liked playing basketball a lot. And I, I liked it. I used to be the tallest kid in my yeah. group. And then, so I liked it a lot more then, mm -hmm. but I could dribble and I loved passing, but my shot was never any good. So like, I like to be the distributor. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could play today because one, uh, the last time I played competitively, like in a real pickup game, yeah, I had the ball and I made a move and I sprained both of my ankles. <laughs> In one move, <laughs> one move. It, it must have been a great move, but like I fell down and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, how the hell does anybody do that? So I'm not, I'm not the most coordinated guy anymore. I broke my foot playing basketball five years ago and it's just been downhill. Really? <laughs> then, yeah. What'd you do? Just step on or somebody land on your ankle? Jumped and what? landed wrong. Oh, yeah. That's the Cracked. worst. Yeah. I sprained my ankle horribly. <laughs> it's so dumb. A friend of mine, we had a few beers and we mm -hmm. were at her place and we decided to go to like the woods behind her place and her parents' place. And we climbed the fence and I jumped down and landed badly on my ankle and mm -hmm. it hurt so much. And then we we went, we, we drank a couple beers and then we, on our way out, we saw there was no fence about 40 feet down that way. So like we could have just walked around the fence, mm. but my ankle the next day blew up. And it was like, okay, I'm I'm always going to feel that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like my foot doesn't feel like bad anymore. It's just like certain shoes I can't wear. Yeah. It's just my knees are acting up. It's just like it's just kind of traveling up <laughs> my body. How old are you now? 35. Yeah. 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 That's about right. <laughs> I really, everybody else, I don't know anyone else my age who's still playing basketball. <laughs> Everyone else has stopped. My dad, uh, he said something. I was... Man, there was like a like a four or five month period where I was just limping a little bit. When yeah. I, when I got out of the car or anything, and I'm like, I don't know what it is. He goes, he goes, how old are you? I go, I'm 35. He goes, that's what it is. And I ended up having plantar fasciitis in one of my feet. So I'm like, at least there was mm. something. But that seems like a really athletic injury or an yeah. age injury. And I was like, well, I would I would have bought athletic always, about 10 years ago. As I'm getting older. I always think of the the Louis C.K. bit where he talks about going to the doctor about his ankle. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, your ankle's just shitty now. 
You got a shitty ankle. <laughs> nothing else you could do. There's nothing could be done. He's like, can I get surgery? He's like, I'm not giving you surgery. <laughs> so who were your favorite comedians growing up? I was, was it Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle? Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. I remember I used to watch when I was really young. Sinbad was really big. Yeah, I never got Sinbad. And like yeah. I didn't, I didn't know he's a clean comedian. I I just knew him from the like the the neon yeah warmups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like watched like all his specials when I was a kid, but I didn't understand anything about. St- I just thought he was a a funny crazy guy on a yeah. stage. People went to go see him, but when I, I re- saw Chris Rock, that opened up my mind to yeah. everything. There, yeah. Chris Rock to me, uh, it was his role with the new and mm-hmm. uh, Seinfeld's. I'm telling you for the last time. And then Sandler had what the hell happened to me. And okay. I think I got all those around the same time. Okay. And I was like, holy shit. Like that's, that's what I, I maybe not what I want to do, but mm-hmm. I want to be around stand up. Yeah. I mean, I needed it. That was a lot of it. When the, one of the big reasons I started was I saw, remember that show drunk history. Yeah. So I remember that show came on, I think around like 2011 or something like that. And I love the show. And, you know, I'm a big, I used to be a history major. So I was like really into it. And I just like, I was like, I want to do this show. <laughs> but I was like, how am I going to get on this show? It was like, well, all these people are comics. So it got me interested in actually thinking about like doing stand up just to be a part of that world. And that was what got me out. Then my ego kept me in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in 2013. And I yeah. Mean- was it, I mean, did you see something like an open mic, like a flyer or it was this, lose a bet? I mean, how'd you get on stage? I had a lot of friends that were in bands yeah. and I would go see them play. And, you know, I love my friends, but every time I would see it, I was just like, I should be up there. <laughs> I don't know where that arrogance came from, but I just like, I was like, I'm more in- interesting than this. But I was like, but doing what? <laughs> like, I was like, I can't, I can't sing, you know, I can't play any instruments you know i had like tried to teach myself the piano i tried to learn how to play the guitar you know i had tried video production and i just could never like really find my voice with that and even with screenwriting i would write stories but like all my characters would talk the same and it was just like this isn't going to (laughs) work uh one of the things i was like my senior year of college i had taken this biblical literature course yeah and i got really interested in kind of like bible stories and like the analysis of it. And I, f- I found it really funny. So one of the first things I did, I had made like a blog spot where I took like Bible stories and just kind of put like a humorous bent on it just by kind of portraying it from a different angle. And that was the first thing of me like starting to write comedy. And then it just evolved into me writing longer bits and i was like well i can't put this in the blog i was like writing like blogs and articles and stuff and then it just kept to the point where i was just like i'm never going to get people to read these things <laughs> like I, I if i'm going to put this much effort into it i need to get this out in front of people you know i really need to put it out there and like back then i think twitter was just kind of starting but it was like the idea of like going viral on twitter and making content on youtube wasn't like real yet right yeah it became real while i was doing stand-up but i at that point i was too focused on just jokes on the stage i just like i'm like way behind now when it comes to internet content it's funny to go back and think about that like i remember when i was writing high school sports 
I was hesitant to put anything on Facebook. I'm like, mm-hmm. nobody's gonna give a fuck about Facebook, and yeah. like, like Twitter Who does. Well, right, right. <laughs> but like Twitter was huge, and I was like, yeah. all right, I'll get my followers that way, and and that especially for local news and high school sports, mm-hmm. Twitter was really good at the time. But like, I had no idea. Like, I think Instagram came later, and I was already yeah. out of journalism at that point. But I didn't do anything. They wanted me to do video stuff. I'm like, I don't. I'm a reporter. I'm a print reporter. Like I, <laughs> I specifically chose newspaper. Yeah. So nobody would have to look at my face. Like I did that for them. And it, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just funny to me to think back, like how much everything has evolved. And like now, if, if you don't have an Instagram yeah. following, it can be tough to get booked. I have a cousin who has 10,000 followers on TikTok. Jesus. What's we're, we're the same age. He's a, he's a janitor. He's not a janitor. He's a, um, a security guard. <laughs> Almost said janitor. He's a security guard. Either one at, uh, at another university, and he's gonna get pissed if he <laughs> said he was a janitor. But uh, no, he's a security guard, and he's got like ten thousand followers on TikTok with this like wrestling themed TikTok character he does. And you're the comedian. Yeah. How many do you have on TikTok? Maybe yeah. like seven. <laughs> I don't go. I don't go on TikTok. Yeah, I, I am so intimidated by the work that I think goes into doing a TikTok. I don't I, think there's any work into it. I think it's this. I think people's narcissism propels them through it. There are a lot of pretty people on TikTok. Yeah, and I'm like, so, man, I got cats, and that is the only thing I can bring to TikTok. Yeah, I'm into the. I'm really into the dogs of Instagram now. Yeah, <laughs> much because I can't. People are posting all their stand up on Instagram now, and yeah. it's just like disgusting. And I'm just like. <laughs> Do you have dogs? I had a dog. I had a dog. He he died last summer. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, he was old. But um, so I'm just kind of like filling that void yep. <laughs> with other people's dogs on Instagram. So I'll get another dog someday, and uh, he'll be on Instagram too, I guess, <laughs> or her, whatever. Either one. I never had owned a female dog, so I don't know if it's different. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend has a blonde Karen Terrier, mm-hmm. and it's like little Toto dog. Mm. And he's 12 and I'm in love with a dog. And I, I was never, it's never really a dog guy. Like I like dogs, mm-hmm. but I was never a cat guy until I got cats. And now yeah. I have a dog part time and I love the fuck out of that animal. Interesting. Oh, he's so great. But yeah. I think you develop that bond and yeah, you know. I never liked cats and I'm also allergic to cats. No, oh, that'll do it. But when I started to move around for comedy everybody if you live in a city people have cats so yeah. i just had to like find people to live with whose cats i wasn't terribly allergic to <laughs> so you make that concession yeah because i have a friend that lives in philly i can't go into his house i can't even walk through the door maybe he's got the cats to keep you out maybe i don't know <laughs> but <laughs> one of them tried to kill me one time i woke up i was i stayed over his house I always just bring like a lot of Benadryl with me. Yeah. I woke up in the guest room. You know, those cuckoo clocks that are made out of cats. It's like a, a cat, not made out of cats. Yeah, like it's, I, was like, I was like, where like going cat, this? <laughs> It's like a, a cat shaped cuckoo yes, clock. And yes, it's yes. got like the yeah. tail at the end. Gotcha. I woke up. The cat is sitting on the headboard above my head, swinging his tail under my nose. Oh, my God. Like it was trying to kill me. Yeah. He knows what's do- what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend stay at my place and uh, I had a guest bedroom and my office right now used to be the guest bedroom. And cause I feel like nobody came to visit. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm turning it into my office, but she came over and 
I closed the door so the cats wouldn't get inside. And she's like, oh, I don't mind if they're here. I go, no, I do. I don't want them to choose you over me. Like, I'm not I'm not secure enough to let that happen. So like cats. Yeah. But I saw a cat yesterday. It was in my backyard. It was so big. It was because it was a uh, just a stray jungle cat. Oh, really? <laughs> I saw it like out of the corner of my eye walking through the kitchen. It was all the way in the back of my backyard laying under a bush. And my first thought, I was like, is that the skunk? But it was even bigger than a skunk. And I knew it couldn't have been the skunk because it was like five o'clock in the evening. So I'm like, the skunk's never out at yeah. that time. And then I'm like, is it a bag of trash? Did somebody threw like it was that big Jesus. <laughs> and it, it got up and I showed it. I called my mother over to look at it and she was like calling the cat over. She's like, come here. I'm like, don't call that that hell cat <laughs> over here. It was like this big, like it was the biggest cat I've ever seen in my life. And not like a fat cat, like right. long. Probably a Maine Coon or something like that. It didn't look like a Maine big. Coon. This it just looked like it was some you know wild cat that just evolves yeah. <laughs> to be gigantic for years of just being all generations of just being in the woods by themselves. Do you ever see an albino deer? No, not okay. in person. I think I've seen the same one twice because I guess like it's one in thirty thousand deer you'll see are albino so it's really rare and sounds like upstate new york that'd be something you might <laughs> absolutely it's like 10 minutes from my place yeah. and my dad said he goes hunters most likely will never shoot that deer because it's a miracle it's alive because it can't hide and everything it's like you don't it's like bad luck almost i think it was the episode of the new dexter oh i somebody I've shot dexter somebody shot an albino deer and it was like a a huge controversy. I believe it. I mean, cause they're so rare. I guess it's like it ethically wrong. Yeah. It was like in some like main town that had like a huge indigenous population. So it was like, I don't know why I'm talking about Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went from jungle cat to Dexter. Yeah. I think it makes, makes perfect sense. So you started in Philly, right? Started in yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess it might be a weird question because you didn't start anywhere else, but is that an easy scene to get your start? Yeah, at the time, it was very, very welcoming scene. There were definitely some different places where there was like, a, you got to earn your stripes kind of situation. But, you know, I didn't really have patience for it. <laughs> I just kind of like after like a couple months, I'm just like, I was all right. I'm funnier. <laughs> <laughs> These people and I'm not going to sit here all night waiting until two o'clock in the morning so i would like go do comedy in the suburbs you know instead just to get stage time and i just waited till people the gatekeepers let their guard down and slipped in after maybe seven or eight months but i like wasn't was not feeling the the hazing <laughs> wasn't gonna yeah. do it what is it like to break into a, a city like that because i'm in binghamton and like mm -hmm. it, honestly it was a little bit hard but mm -hmm. like it's not i mean it should be easier now but like, I can't imagine starting in Philly with, I mean, just knowing Philly comedians. There's definitely like bitterness among like some of the older comics who are like, you know, we had to go through this before yeah. we got any, before we even touched the stage. And I'm like, all right, where are them people at that did that to you? They're not here. <laughs> I got nothing to do with me. When I went to New York, it was like the first three months, people were just openly disrespectful. <laughs> to you until they figure out that you're funny or that you're not going to leave 
it's like you're not even a person. They're waiting to see if you'll run off after a couple of months. And it's like once you stick around long enough, they'll be like, all right, I guess you're here for the long haul. I guess I understand it. It just seems like really unnecessary. People are petty. <laughs> <laughs> so does that change you as like, like, because you're, you've been doing it eight years. I mean, how do you treat newcomers now? I can't really speak to it because I don't run any shows okay. and I don't run any open mics. So like, I'm not in charge of anything. So it's like, to me, the young comics, like I, I you know, if I think that they're funny or they're interesting, or if I just feel like they seem like a decent person, I don't, I don't, I don't bother anybody. I'm pretty cool with everyone. I don't have anything that anybody needs. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're pretty well established in the scene, I assume by now. Yeah. I don't have anything to, I mean, I can give people, I can help people with, uh, you know, I can connect people to other cities and stuff like that, but it's like, it's nothing that anybody else can't figure out on their own. Right. What was the hardest thing to do? I mean, was it just getting on stage like back then? Uh, or like on on shows. I mean, yeah. I mean, at the beginning, is like I didn't know anything about stand up comedy. I'd never really been to a stand. I've been to like two stand up comedy shows in my entire life. At that point, I'd seen Mike Birbiglia at the yeah. Grand, and I saw Doug Benson at. He did like a small student show at my college. So it's like I had no idea where to go to do stand up. At the time when I was getting started, I would look at oh, there's these open mics that start at like nine or, or 9 30 on like a Wednesday on a Thursday. And I'm just like, well, I'm not, I got to go to work in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> it's funny yeah. now, but like at that time I was like, I got to find an open mic that's on the weekend so I can Good luck. So I won't get be tired the next day. And so I spent like two weeks just trying to figure that out before I gave up. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to this Sunday mic and tough it out. And then I was like out every night till like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> for like a year. I think your body just adapts. Yeah, I guess so. I'm like not a night person. So that was one of the reasons I didn't want to do it. And then um, and now that I'm like not really doing stand up that much, which is mostly about the gas prices more than, yeah. more than anything else is like I've gone back to being like getting up at five in the morning and going to bed at like seven. I wonder how your body's going to adjust after that point. Like if, if you take a little bit of time off and you're like you're used to five. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way you're staying out till two again. Not, not, no, right probably away. not. There's enough for me to stay up to two, four. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're, who's gonna, there's nothing going on that late at night, nothing good around yeah. here in Delaware. You're not going to find anything to right. get into at two o'clock in the morning. It's not just not a grave. <laughs> I did a show last night in like pretty much almost Canada. And yeah, so I got home at three in the morning. That never happens. And the only yeah. reason I was out that late is because it was four and a half hours from my house. So uh, the show was done by nine. Yeah. If I was anywhere else where I usually go, I'd have been home by 11. That's what I like now. Yeah. And it's like, even and it's now I used to always think about, I remember I got yelled at one time because I had like contacted some booker in somewhere in like central PA. And like, I'd never really been paid to do comedy. And he asked me how much he wanted to pay me. And I was like, I don't know, $25. <laughs> and it was like to drive like two hours out there. Yeah. He was like, I'll pay you $25. And then a bunch of other comics had ended up contacting the guy and had to like negotiate like hell with the guy because he was trying to pay them $25. Oh too. no. And they, they called me and they were like, the fuck you're driving down the line price. It took us forever to get the guy back up to 75. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was oh like, I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, you're a professional comic now. You got to demand value from like, I'm like, I just want to do stand up. I don't, <laughs> how can I, to me, I'm like a person, like, I'm not a, like, I can't fake it. You make it kind of person. Like, yeah. I can't do that. Like, if I got to negotiate, I got to have something to stand on. And it's like hard with stand up comedy at the beginning because you just want to do it. Yep. If you like negotiate too much, you're going to negotiate yourself out of stage time. Yep. Out of an opportunity. And it's like, oh, I don't know what to do because you want to do the show. A lot of times you want to do the show more than the than the booker wants to do the show or you haven't have you or you're easily replaced by a million other comments. And I was like, how do you get to the point where you actually negotiate that the easiest way that not it's not the easiest way to do it, but it's the the simplest mechanism is to build a fan base. Right. And, you know, I got people coming. You got to give me this much per person. But it's like if you don't have that, how do you say this person, you know, give me this money for this thing I want to do anyway. Yeah. I know the first show I did, I got $6. I was like, it was a door deal. It was $5 at the door. Yeah. And my cut was $6. And you know what? I was all right with it because I just did stand up for like 10 minutes and Mm -hmm. it was fun. And it was my first show. I was cool with it, but now I'm running shows and I'm like, I would never pay somebody $6. Yeah. But like, obviously, gas prices is a little different, but like mm-hmm. I've been doing it. I've only been doing it six years, but like I've been yeah. running shows for like five and I'm like, OK, now it took me running shows on my own and talking mm-hmm. directly to bar owners about a budget to learn that it's OK to ask for money or more money mm-hmm. so you can pay everybody else. Because like I have friends and bands as well, and mm-hmm. like they're not playing at bars for free. Yeah. So like I'm like, oh, yeah. And a lot of these bars have entertainment budgets. So it's like mm-hmm. I can ask for money. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, should I ask for more money? Because the comedians are getting better mm-hmm. and the audience is, is coming. That's still asking for more money is hard for me. Yeah, it's hard to do. because I've, I've never really booked shows outside of Delaware. And so Delaware, you know, a lot of the venues, the bar owners are like fickle. You'll do a show somewhere. By the time you go back, they've got different management. <laughs> And it's just like, you never know who you're talking to. And I just kind of got sick of it. And at this point, I'm just not interested in it, in running a stand-up comedy show. I just kind of moved on to like, I have my variety show that I've been writing and preparing them. I've had difficulty getting it booked places, but I want to do that. That's the kind of thing I want to do more. I'm kind of bored with, I think with stand-up, there's like another level I got to go to with it. And I need to be able to get in this situation where like I have an audience and I can travel and make money off of stand-up comedy to do it enough to really build up to what I want to do next with stand-up. Yeah. Trying to run around and do open mics and bar shows is just not going to, it's not sustainable. So I got to figure out how to make this work at the next stage. Is the goal for you to just do stand-up only? No. Okay, okay. I wonder, all. <laughs> I wonder if that would make, I mean, cause you're obviously you're employed and you're doing well, mm-hmm. but I wonder if like that makes it easier. It takes the pressure off of you on stage. Like you can pull back and say, okay, well, I don't, I don't need to do this right now. I can take a little break. I can work on something else. I enjoy. I mean, mm-hmm. just have the security. I don't know about the pressure on stage. It, it takes the pressure off of, do I need to go out tonight yeah. and do comedy and be around? Do I have to accept this bar gig for, for $20 and a drink ticket. Do I have to like sit at this open mic for two hours and, you know, just out of boredom and trying to like 
assimilate into yeah. the community i gotta take you know i gotta have two city wides <laughs> just yeah. to get myself through it so it's like that's what i'm trying to avoid i think it's it's not worth it like it took me eight years to get to the point where i could record an album going through that process i'm not waiting another eight years to create something again yeah when did you record the album it was in january beginning oh, wow. of january so you turned it on pretty quickly yeah I mean, what was that process um, like? I mean, because obviously I, I assume you had a lot of it done before the pandemic and then you kind of fine tuned it. Yeah, it was it was a process and it was interesting when things started to first open up in Delaware. I was just going to the regular Thursday open mic that was going on. And this was like it was a lot of people that I already knew and it was like a lot of the same people coming out. So I was I was doing really challenging stuff and really challenging material because I was like, what am I going to tell the jokes I was telling before? Yeah. This is the thing that was really crazy about if I could really go back. Like I told you, I was in Boston when the pandemic started. So I was in New York, was in New York for a year doing stand up all the time. I was getting booked a lot in New York, too. So it was good. But then I ran out of money, came back to Philly, was just I was like on fire. I was just murdering. I've never been that good at stand up going. And I was like doing comedy all the time. And then I went to Boston and did like seven shows in Boston for like a week and then came back. And I like, I remember the last show I did at Thursday before the shutdown, I was just like at peak. Yeah. <laughs> and then everything stopped. So when I came back, you know, I was trying to look back at my old material and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> you know, what is this? What was I doing? I'm like, this isn't interesting. So I was trying to push boundaries with stuff and was trying to do something different. And then I had the variety show that I was writing and planning. And I, I was really thinking of leaving stand up behind at that point and just doing the variety show and, and working on my teaching. Then the, uh, the, the company, the Helium, that asked me to record the album with them, they asked me to do it. And I was kind of like wishy-washy. I was like, how am I ever going to get as good as I was yeah. last year? Like, I'm never going to be that tight again. That amount of stages doesn't exist anymore. So I was like, I don't know if this is like, I don't know if I want to record some half-assed version <laughs> of my act. I was like, all right. So they gave me some road gigs on the weekend. I went out, went to North Carolina, ate my fucking face, <laughs> Just ate my dick in North Carolina for two straight days and was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't think it was going to work. And then I uh, actually, I had done a show. There's a guy that runs a show out in the suburbs. Name's uh soul Joel. Yeah. Richardson. I, yeah. For a good like show at, at with chip Chantry. It was like a, it was like a charity show. And it's, you know, out in the sticks, very white middle-aged audience. So I'm trying to figure out, well, let me throw out all this challenging crazy stuff that I've been working on that's been, you know, I can do it in Center City, Philly, but whatever. But I started going back to like my old act, the stuff that I was, you know, been doing for years and stuff about teaching and family and money and stuff like that. And my experiences in New York. And I just did that 25 minutes, just like ripped. And I was like, all right, there's still something here. I'm just not focusing on the right stuff. It took me a while because I had like forgotten what I already knew, which was that I was like, the reason I was bombing in North Carolina is because I was coming at these people with way too much upfront and I wasn't establishing a relationship. I wasn't yeah. building a rapport. I wasn't doing, you know, my relatable material upfront. 
And that was like, I had to figure out how to do that again. I had forgotten that whole aspect of stand-up comedy because like, as soon as I got back to stand up after the, uh, the shutdown, I was just talking to people that already knew me and I was just jumping ahead of that. Right. They already liked you. Yeah. I had to figure out how to reorder that. And then I was like working on that. And then the end of December of last year, I had like a couple of shows lined up before the album weekend. And I was like, all right, I'm going to knock this out. And then everyone got COVID. Oh, God. <laughs> everyone, the entire scene in Philadelphia got COVID. I got COVID. My mother got COVID. My friends got COVID. And I was, it was literally like the album recording was going to be in like two weeks. Jeez. And everyone's sick. All the shows are canceled. Everything's closing. And I'm like, we're going to have another shutdown. I'm sick. My mother's sick. It's like, this is going to be bad. So it was basically the two weeks before I was about to record the album. I didn't get on stage at all. And I was like, I'm going to walk up there cold. I'm not going to be able to be tight and confident and prepared. And I was like, what am I going to to do about this? This is going to be bad. I was like, well, what do I do with my regular day with my my job with teaching? I I teach English as a second language. I was like, how do I prepare for a lesson? You know, I'm every time I teach a lesson, I'm pretty much teaching it for the first time. How do I make that work? How do I get comfortable with it? How do I engage students in it? And it's about structure. So I've always known about the structure of jokes and the structure of like a bit or even maybe a sequence to some point. But I was like, how do I structure an entire show, an hour, 45 minutes of it? I don't do this. I never headline. I never even feature that much. <laughs> so I was like, what the, What am I going to do about this? And I figured, I said, well, I have to structure this the way I structure a lesson, which is if I teach an English lesson, I start by activating background knowledge. Whatever topic I'm talking about, what does the audience, what do my students already know about it? Find that out, get that from them. So for that, I use polls or discussion questions. Usually you start out with like a yes or no question, then maybe you, move to an open-ended question, which is kind of introducing the theme Mm -hmm. of what you're going to talk about. So I did that for every joke that I had and every sequence of jokes that I had. And it helped me find all the connections between everything so that I could structure it and I could see the whole work in my mind. Because that's what I, I realized, like what when I'm teaching, the thing that's going to lead to panic and make a bad lesson is if I don't know where I'm going. Right. If I don't have the whole thing planned out and I don't have it timed out. To me, teaching is all about preparation. You know, some people can go into a classroom and they can just use their expertise and their personality to kind of wield over the room. I can't do that. It's all about preparation to me. And so I brought that same amount of preparation to preparing for the album. And I was like, I hope this works. (laughs) <laughs> and, but but it, it, it immediately it made me more confident because I could see all the connections between the bits that I didn't see before and see all those connections, not just in the bits, but my life. You know, yeah, I had one show to try it out before I got to the weekend. I did a I was headlining a showcase at Punchline and I tried like out 25 minutes of what I was working on for the album. And this is the first time I've been on stage in two weeks. It's the first time I'm doing this new approach to it. And it went perfectly. It just all kind of strung together in a way that I hadn't been able to be that 
smooth and coherent with my comedy sets in a long time, especially intentionally. Yeah. Sometimes I might slip into it, which is what <laughs> happened in, at Soul Joel's. It just kind of happened because I just kind of made that plan uh, out of fear <laughs> and it, it worked out. And so like after getting that 25 minutes to work at Punchline, I was confident about putting it together. The whole thing for um, at Helium, the Sunday night where I headlined went great. So is that something you do now for any set? I haven't really been doing stand up or were at any shows where I've been on stage long enough Okay, to really use that approach again. It gave me a lot of different angles on material that I didn't have before that I still do when I get up on stage, but I haven't been able to use the whole approach. Now, where'd you get the title? It's it's what English for criminals. Yeah. So that, that was a long journey. I, I right before the pandemic, I was planning a show at the uh, good, good comedy theater. She used to be in Chinatown in Philly. Uh, you gone learn was the name okay, of the okay. show. And it was supposed to be a variety show where I would pick a new topic for every show. And I would do like a variety show. that was like a language lesson based on this topic. The first one was going to be on web design. You know, obviously the show got canceled because everything got canceled. I tried to like record it as like a video just to put up as content during the shutdown. And it just was not funny or interesting or good. So I was like, scrap that idea. And also, I'm definitely not going to do this on a different subject every <laughs> fucking <laughs> month. <laughs> like, this is just like way too much research. Like, I had to buy two books about web design and I had to interview someone. I was like, this is not sustainable you know yeah so i was like i said i need to focus this on something that i'm interested in and i was like what what do i what am i always doing and i'm like i'm always watching crime movies <laughs> i'll watch them over and over again like i said scorsese like i'll watch i can't tell you how many times i've seen casino <laughs> i watch it maybe like five times a year oh i've seen it and once. i watch Good yeah, movie, but yeah once for me i love the movie if it comes on I'm, i can't stop myself I watch a lot of crime movies. I watch a lot of documentaries about crime. Like I love all the crime TV shows, like everything that was on Netflix, Narcos, Ozark, Peaky Blinders. I was in all that shit. And I was I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing anyway. So I make this the focus. I said, well, what's my expertise? I am not a lawyer or a criminologist or a criminal. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> how can I apply myself to it? And I said, well, same thing I do with I was planning on doing with the other topics basically doing like a linguistic analysis and turning it into kind of analyzing the language of it and discussing it. And so it first was like a podcast and like the first two episodes I did about the Irishman. Yep. I talked about how mobsters like use the passive voice to avoid incriminating themselves. <laughs> and, you know, something happened to that guy, yep. Yep. you know, he somehow he fell through a window and is like something. And he's always trying to, take the subject out of the sentence <laughs> and then very vague language. Like there's the scene in Irishman where they say it is what it is, which is like a death threat, <laughs> but it's like the most vague sentence. And it is what it is, which basically means, you know, accept this situation or we'll kill you. Yep. And so that was how it started out. The podcast has gone in a lot of different directions. And then it evolved into the variety show, which is a lot of like role-playing games based on kind of games I would use in the classroom, except as if I was training criminals to use English <laughs> better for their for their crime. So that's where that came from. So I was in the impression, I'm like, oh, I wonder if like, you know, there's a bit about you doing stand up in a jail or something like that. I used to teach in a youth prison. That was where I was, was teaching when I started doing stand up. 
Really? So some of that kind of comes from inspired from that, just kind of like teaching that there. And even when I was teaching ESL, I've taught at some shady places in New York and Philadelphia. And being an adjunct is just like a shady life. <laughs> you teach a lot of immigrants and refugees and you're like, who the, what, what it is like, there's no money in it. It's like, how could I teach English to refugees, to, to immigrants and make money? And I was like, well, if I could teach English to drug traffickers, <laughs> it might be profitable. <laughs> it's like, cause I was watching Ozark and I'm like, what is it? He's an accountant for drug dealers. Oh, That's I- what money laundering is. Right. Okay. So it's like, he's taking a legitimate skill and he's applying it to an illegal practice. It's like, he makes a lot more money off that. Obviously also the stakes are higher. Yeah. So that was where the idea came from. I haven't seen Ozark yet. I've heard it's great. I wanted to wait until it was completely done so I could watch all of it. I think it is now. It's done now. Yeah. I just watched the last episode a week ago. Have you seen Breaking Bad? Yeah. Which is better? Because I just had somebody, somebody was talking to me about both of them. I think he said Ozark was better than Breaking Bad. I don't really know how to compare it. All these shows suffer from the same problem, which is they get to the end and they're like, oh shit, we got to tie up. Yeah, five years of <laughs> stories. And, you know, I've seen like, you know, I've watched Sopranos for the first time during the quarantine. I'm watching it like for the first show. time now. They had a similar problem where they had to like wrap up really fast. And then it just becomes kind of nonsensical at that point. But I really liked Ozark all the seasons. And I really liked Breaking Bad. I don't know. They're both great. For me, Breaking Bad was especially in the beginning. It had enough humor. Mm-hmm. to sustain me and then the cliffhangers were amazing like every time an episode of breaking bad ended i wanted to watch the next one and i was like okay well yeah. i don't have to work until like eight i can i know it's five o'clock in the morning now i can do one more episode it's been a while now i can't remember what all the cliffhangers were but i'd started watching it in college with some of my fraternity brothers and you know just kept watching it and then we were always talking about it after we had graduated you ever watch a show? Uh, this happens to me. Have you seen Westworld? I saw like one or two episodes. I didn't get into it. I don't think I like it, but I keep watching it because my ex-girlfriend loved watching it. And I caught up to watch with her and yeah. then she moved out. She broke up with me, moved out and didn't have HBO. So I watch it out of <laughs> just watching it despite. <laughs> Absolutely. I can watch this. You yeah. can't. I'm too dumb to watch it. I can't remember what I didn't like about it. I just. I don't remember. I used to remember what I would say to people when I didn't like, I just found it unappealing. Yeah. It's kind of, I can't remember. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think I I had the same problem with like, there was a show on HBO called raised by wolves where I had like a similar problem. I was like, this is not interesting at all, but they got a second season. (laughs) Never heard of it. Shameless ended. And I I was a big fan of shameless. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason that show was the only reason I had showtime. So my happiest moment about the finale was I could cancel Showtime. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to the. I don't think I saw like the last three or four seasons of Shameless. I watched like the first couple and then I just kind of lost interest. I think it's a great show. It just yeah. it got more fucked up. Like you're like, how does this one family? This happened all to one family. And that's the that's the unbelievable part. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It's just I just felt like the stakes didn't get raised enough for them to continue. <laughs> it's like, all right, your family. It was like, I felt like the stakes of that show was everyone was going to become exactly the shitty person that it seemed like they were going to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like that's where the stakes is like, yeah, they're going to be trash forever. Yeah. <laughs>
What was it about the crime stuff, the Tarantino, the Scorsese stuff? What led you to that? It's just the stakes. I love the, it, okay. I like, like, I can't, I don't watch comedy. I do not watch any comedy movies. I don't watch sitcoms. I used to watch sitcoms when I was a kid, but I can't stand, I can't deal with it anymore. Like, I, if I'm going to sit there and watch something, I need there to be consequences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I like about suspense movies and thrillers and crime movies. And, and I'll watch them again and again, even after, like, I just watched Road to Perdition again. I love that movie. And and uh, what did I watch? The Town with Ben Affleck, the bank robbery movie. Town, I said it last night to a buddy of mine. The Town is like the only movie I watch. And then as soon as I finish watching it, I kind of want to watch it again. Really? I love Interesting. it. Yeah. I've never done that with a movie, but I, I really like that movie. But I'm like, I have the urge to do it. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really good movie. And I just like, it's just like crime movies are just very crisp. You know, I think other movies are just kind of messy. And I really like dark comedy. Like my other favorite directors are um, the Coen brothers. Yeah. So they make funny crime movies. And I love that. You know, that's like my favorite. Did they do uh, Fargo? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I thought so. Yeah. yeah the have, movie. I have. Yeah. I, I got Fargo and. Raisin Arizona, and I need to watch Raisin Arizona again. Raisin Arizona is great. I don't think I got it completely. That was the first Coen Brothers movie I ever seen before I even knew who they were because it just came on broadcast TV back yeah. in the day when I just had watching my grandmother's Zenith. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about a Zenith anything in a long time. Dude, that television was old when we had it, and it was <laughs> 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I ask everybody this, but do you remember the worst set you've ever had? The worst show you've done? You know, kind of all runs together. I don't have interesting bombs. <laughs> they just kind of like peter out. Yeah, Most of yeah. the time, it's just people that like do not care <laughs> about anything right. I'm it's saying. And then I'm just like, and I used to like get really self-conscious and didn't know what to do in those situations and try to pander or whatever. And I just try to fight through it. But there's once I've lost the crowd, I've never gotten anybody back. <laughs> you, I've never, never gotten them back. Do you kind of get discouraged with that or like disinterested in them? Like whatever. <sighs> the last time I had a really bad set on a show, I walked off stage. Really? Yeah. I was at the grape room in, in Maniunk and it was like a Tuesday showcase. I thought it was going to be bad because it was supposed to be outside. And then it rained, so they brought the show inside. So I'm like, well, this would be better. No, it was not. <laughs> I don't know if the audience like never left the mindset of it being an outside show. <laughs> they just like it was like they were at a picnic. They were just staring. I was like, Am I standing up here with a boat of a banjo? Why are y'all <laughs> looking at me like this? Like they're waiting for me to start playing a song or something. I'm like, I'm just talking. So like I can't I don't have any tricks. I was supposed to do like seven or eight minutes. I think I was up there for like five and I was doing fire bits, like some of my best <laughs> material and audience is just staring at me. So I was like, I I just stopped. I was like, all right. I'm like, are you guys are you listening to me? Do you hear me? <laughs> like at all? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, you're just not. I was like, what's going on here? And I remember I like did a joke making fun of the situation where I was like, I was like, in these situations, 
if I was teaching a class and the students were acting like this, I would just hand out worksheets. I would just yeah. give y'all <laughs> some busy work to do. And they laughed at that. And I was like, all right, I got them opened up. And so like, I tried to like go back into my material and they just like, I was like, Oh, you guys don't want to hear stand up comedy <laughs> or you're just not interested in it or they don't recognize it, but they were just not, they were gone. And I was like, I'm like, I do not like the sound of my own voice. So I'm not just going to stand here and talk to myself. I'm going to, you guys have a good night. I'll see you later. I'm done. There's a really famous story about Larry David. Yeah. Walking onto stage. And he, and he, he looked at the audience and he goes, no. And he walks <laughs> off. And he walks <laughs> Like, no. And he just walked and like, what? I mean, as a comedian, you know, like, I just imagine being the booker and be like, I, I guess I'm screwed, but that's kind of, all right, like this. It's kind of funny. I've definitely walked in some places and was like, ooh. Yeah. You wonder if like some people have already seen you yet. I was like, maybe I can get out of here and say I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I did a show last night. It was like four and a half hours away. And yeah, I'm like, man, this is kind of familiar. And went with my buddy, Zach Hammond. And mm-hmm. we're like, man, this is kind of familiar. He, Zach's like, yeah, I think I did a show around here a few years ago. And that's how this guy got a hold of me. So we get in there this guy comes up, he's running everything. He goes, yeah, I saw you guys three years ago. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you you look kind of familiar. So I think I saw you three years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I remember you. I didn't do well on that show. The entire time I'm like, oh my God, please. I hope the same audience isn't there. And then there are older people when when we started the show, they just sat down. And then a bus full of people about my age, like 30s came around. Oh my God. I was like, thank you so much. I get so nervous at that point. If if somebody's mm-hmm. seen me before, I just like, did you like me? Why are you back? I once did a show at a dinner theater. Yeah. It was old people. You could hear forks hitting the plate. Oh no. <laughs> it was it was bad. I was like, I shouldn't. I remember I got there and I was like, I'm Brandon Jackson. And they're like, You're not Brandon Jackson. And I was like, Yeah, yeah. They thought I was some other Brandon Jackson. <laughs> I got booked for somebody else and it was bad. I was thinking about what you were talking about going back to the same place. I actually did have one really fantastic bomb where I like, I like projected all of my fears and insecurities on this audience and just went off on them. And this was like around the time that I was thinking of quitting stand-up comedy when I was going to grad school. Yeah. And I just let it all, everything that I'd been holding in, I just let it all out on these people. And I came back there for another show that I was producing like maybe five or six months later. And I like got up on stage and I was like, you guys remember me? And they were like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and I ended up having like a really good set. And actually that was a huge turnaround for me where I was like thinking about quitting because I just like couldn't get shit to work and I had like come up with a new approach and that was like the first night that I did it and saw it work and it was like with these people who I had already had attacked (laughs) and uh, the fact that they came around with it was a good sign that's a great lesson yeah so I want to hear more about the the variety show I mean that's that's the Mm -hmm. main thing you're working on right now right Mm mm-hmm it's basically, I have like a crime topic for the episode. So the two shows that we did were about money laundering. Yep. And so I have uh, my uh, 
subject matter expert on this show is Naeem Ali, and he's an accountant. And uh, so he helps explain it. And then we do some like role playing games around it. Like we have a game called The Price Got Me Fucked Up. That's like one of the <laughs> names. It's like The Price is Right, but I changed. I don't know. There's like a warm up. Like we do this warm up with uh, in language classes. You know, everybody knows this Two Truths and a Lie. Yep. So I created a game called Two Lies and then One More Lie and However Many Lies You Need to Tell <laughs> to Get Yourself <laughs> Out of the Situation. <laughs> And it's just like an icebreaker for the show. And I would just a show where I would give people uh, like a business. And I was like, you got to explain how you're going to launder money for this business. And I would give people like it's a church or here's a you have a Star Wars themed strip club. It's like, how are you going to launder fifty thousand dollars for this company? I can't I haven't done this show in a while. I got to go back and I actually just pulled up the video of it. I got to edit it together to make some content because I really want to um, get the show going again. And like, I want to travel with it because like I, I it's like. I was telling you about with Boston. Yeah. That was like the last place I like traveled to, to like do a bunch of different bar shows. And it's like, I would never do that again. Travel to someplace just to do stand up for 10 minutes at a bunch of different bars. <laughs> and it's like, if I'm going to go to another city, like I want to have like a reason to do it. Like right. I want something productive to do. It's like, I thought about it. It's like, I don't want to just, be someone that travels to a town and doesn't have anything to do till 7:30 at night. Yeah. It's like, what am I gonna do? Wander around this town? Like I want something. If I'm traveling to a place, like if I if I could this is my dream, is that like I'm I'm gonna plan this trip to Portland next March. So the professional, the national professional conference for my field is going to be in Portland in March. And there's also a helium out there. This is the comedy club that I recorded my album now. So I said, that would be perfect. I'll do a presentation at this conference. I'll network out there. And maybe I also will record my podcast and maybe do some spots on some shows. And then also maybe I could put my variety show on somewhere, maybe at that club. Yeah. And that'd be a good place to kind of network and also sell my album and promote my content. Uh, hopefully I'll have some. <laughs> <by then. laughs> but it's like what I was talking about with the flow, like this is an interesting story. So the first time I did the variety show is at this venue that I've done several shows at. And I did the show. Only two people bought tickets. And like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's like a show with like a bunch of, there's like a bunch of other comics on the show with me. So we just did it. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, two people in the audience and like the audio guy and the bartender. I mean, it felt like an arena of people. That's how it felt, how funny it was. That's awesome. And yeah. And I remember getting off the stage and I was talking to the woman who runs the theater bootless stage works in Wilmington. And she said, don't take this the wrong way. I've been watching you do stand up here for many years. And she's like, this is what you should be doing. Oh, wow. Okay. Like this is, she's like, this is good. You need to do this. So I felt really good about it. Now, if only I could get it to, to, to put the show on somewhere. I've kind of like, I've gotten gun shy about producing it. The last time I did it was at Punchline in Philly. I put it on and it was like 12 o'clock that day we're supposed to do it in end of November. I got an email from the club saying that we got to postpone the show. And I was like, what, what happened? I was like, did, did I, did we not sell any tickets? And she's like, no, it's not that at all. 
we have like a big name comic coming in and we can't say no to them and oh. we couldn't figure out how to schedule both shows. I said, this better be fucking somebody. <laughs> this motherfucker better be big. Yeah. <laughs> like who is like 12 o'clock that day? It'd be one thing if I was just hosting a showcase. It's like, who cares? It was a variety show that I had to write and plan and book people for and prepare roles and had to create media for it. So I'm like this and sold tickets and i was like this i was really upset and i was like who could this possibly be and then i remembered i was at helium on i think like the saturday before and i ran into this guy um but he was supposed to be hosting there this weekend and i was like what's going on i was like oh i said oh you hosted tonight and he's like i was supposed to be i said they bumped you off the host spot Somebody took your host spot like while you were here. And he was like, no, it's not like that. I was like, what's going on? He's like, all right, I got to you got to come over here so I can tell you. And I was like, I was like, what was going on? He's like, he's like, Kevin Hart is here. Oh, fuck. And he's <laughs> he's going up and doing like a half hour at the end of the show. So it's bumped everyone down. The headliner is doing 30 and the feature is hosting. And so he got bumped completely off the show. And so that. I had forgotten about it. I was there. I had st- I'd never seen Kevin Hart before, but it just been such a crazy week. I was preparing for my album and yeah. And it was great seeing. I'd never seen him live before. He was fantastic. And I was like, "Well, isn't this a treat? I get to see Kevin Hart for free." Nope. <laughs> no. I paid for it. <laughs> I was like the whole day people were, I was like trying to figure out who replaced me and somebody was like, "I heard it's um Chris, what's his name?" He's an Italian guy from Brooklyn. Chris Stefano. Yeah. But people were saying, oh, it's Chris Stefano. I was like, I better not have fucking gotten canceled <laughs> for Chris Stefano. I'm like, he was just here like a month ago. What the fuck is going on? And so I was getting mad, mad, mad. And then all of a sudden I saw people posting ah, Kevin Hart tickets tonight. I'm like, oh, nothing I can do about this. That's <laughs> out Lincoln Field. Yeah. And they were like trying to make me feel better about it. And then like they told me at the last minute, was like, you should come by and you can get into the show for free. We'll have a space for you. And I was so mad that I didn't even go. Do you I went that to like, a, yeah, I guess so. I shouldn't have been that much in my feelings about it. And maybe I would have met some people. So there was a bunch of people who were booked on my show ended up at the show. One of the guys who was supposed to be on my show ended up hosting the Kevin Hart show. <laughs> And like people who had like booked on my show, they were like posting on Instagram, like, here, I'm at the front row at the. I was like, this is. <laughs> yeah, I was hot. Sounds like a conspiracy against you. Yeah, it was mostly I was angry because my album taping was coming up in a month. So I was like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to reschedule this show because it's like once I record the album, I'm going to have killed like all my momentum. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how the. I don't think people are going to come if I reschedule the show in February. And hardly they didn't. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, so I'm still trying to reveal this show to the world. <laughs> <laughs> so what's life been like since you've stopped recording? I mean, has it slowed down at all for you, like in a good way? Um, I mean, I've been healthier. I haven't had a drink in a month, over a month. Changed my diet. I've been exercising every day. You know, I'm getting sleep. Yeah, um, that's a big one. You know, I got a full-time job, so I got health insurance, and so that's good. What you're saying is that if you stop doing comedy for a little while, life gets better? Yeah, if you have something else to do. <laughs> like I, I have a full-time job now. If I if I didn't have a full-time job, I'd probably be, I don't know what I would be doing. I would have ran out of money trying to drive to Philly every weekend. Right. It can't be, I mean, what, 
45 minutes, an hour away. It's 45, man. It's like $20 in gas just for right. like one trip. Tolls too, so, right? Yeah, I'm not doing that. There's no tolls going okay. to Philly from Delaware. Right. Yeah, that's just Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Maryland's got tolls all the way through. And yeah, people were always like, well, how come you don't come to Baltimore? I'm like, it costs $20 in tolls just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. just to get down there. <laughs> and I, I lived in Glen Burnie and I worked in Annapolis yeah. for a few years. And they were, I think right when I moved, they raised the tolls from two to four dollars. I think. Yeah. And I was like, no, and it's only two dollar difference. Well, four really. But like I was like, no, yeah, it I, adds I, don't, up. I don't I don't want to do that. So you just left Maryland? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't leave I didn't leave Maryland for the tolls because of tolls, but it was one of the reasons. No, I just I was working a newspaper and I didn't mm-hmm. get a raise in six years. So I was like, screw it. I can't do uh, it okay. So I gotta go. Gotcha. I went back to New York and lower cost of living. And I was doing Amazon sales and making more money working half the hours. So, and then yeah, I started to stand up. Yeah. It, it all, yeah, it worked, it all out. worked out. Yeah. I'm okay with it, but man, this is a lot of fun talking to you. What, Thank you. You've got the variety show developing, but like, do you have anything else mm-hmm. to promote? I know the album comes out on May 27th. Just, um, just the album. So the album comes out May 27th. There's a, it's a pre-release right now. You can pre-order and you can listen to one of the tracks that's available right now. And I'm having an album release party in Wilmington at Bootless Stage Works also on May 27th. It's going to be kind of like partially, uh, you know, a celebration, partially uh, an excerpt of the English for Criminal show. So it'll be fun. That's great. You want any social media? Like, do you have any anything people can follow? On social media, you can find me um, on the everything. I, I just bought a website, uh, EnglishForCriminals.com. So very easy. And so all of my contacts and social media and content is on. It's just like a, a landing page with all, yeah. what are these things called? Uh, where it's just like the links. Link tree? Yeah, it's like a link tree, yeah. but it's on WordPress and it's just got all my content on it. And so you can get to everything I have on there. Yeah. I said I, that very dry. I was like, yeah, hey, no, my stuff is up there. You can find me if you would like. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're good. No, I didn't give one shit about a website until I had to pay for a website. And now I'm like, yeah, everybody should go to the website, please. Just, just do I something. I think I have five websites floating around out there. <laughs> I got an email from some lady. She was like, I was at your Wix and I couldn't find a contact form. I was like, I have a Wix. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you know now. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> I gotta figure that out. <laughs> we'll see. Well, again, man, thank you so much for making the time and and uh enjoy mm-hmm. campus. I mean, get out of that library safely. I'll try. It's scary <laughs> around here. Scary hours. It's finals week or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, what am I going to do for the rest of the day? And I remember the Sixers game is tonight. So I got that for. I'm going to take ah, a nap. Wake gotta, up for the game. I got a Mets Phillies doubleheader that's happening right now. So I'm going to go back and watch that. <laughs> oh, man. Two miserable fucking teams meeting. <laughs> ah, no, no. The Mets are good this year for like next week. Or the Mets, people were firing missiles at them at the beginning of the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that happens. Is that, is, that, is that still happening? No, but I'm telling you, I love being a Mets fan, but I hate Mets fans because they, yeah. I, they're not worse than Philly fans. I hate Philly fans, but Mets fans are, they live and die with the team, which is great, but they overreact so constantly. How can you, <laughs> it's a New York team. It's like, you got to give yourself the room to breathe. Well, it's, it's also a seven month season. Yeah. So it's like, who cares? Like, it's not like and 162 like, games, right? It's not like the Jets started 0 and 4, 0 and 5. Yeah. At that point, you're like, well, season's probably over, but the yeah. Mets aren't starting Owen 28. Yeah, it's not possible. <laughs> I'm like, like they start out six and four and they're like, oh, we 
we suck. I'm like, Jesus Christ, give them a break. But I'll tell you, I've never hated more fans than Phillies fans and Nationals fans. I don't know which ones are worse. Really? Yeah, Nationals fans are awful. At least the Phillies fans had won something. But Nationals fans, they won. Yeah, I know they just did. But when they they first when they first came in the league, Uh, okay. And I was down there watching games. They were so entitled, and I'm like, you guys barely finished 500. Like they just (laughs) they got Steven Strasburg. They they used to be the Expos. Yeah, and I like the Expos. They're fine. But and and the Expos didn't win shit anyway. No, they were terrible. (laughs) Otherwise, they would have stayed in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Again, thanks, man, and enjoy the Sixers game tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.